John chapter 13, verses 12 through 20. In a day and age in which we wrestle with COVID every day, everybody's keeping their distance and those types of things. We are faced with a passage in which our Lord is telling us to serve one another. It's a question the media is not going to answer, but more so than trying to stay distant, how can we serve and be a blessing to one another? John 13, verses 12 through 20, reads this way. When he and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger, nor is one who is sent greater than the one. whom I've chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Now, you know we, messed, we was with this sermon last week and we got the example placed before us. So we're still in the same scene. And I also want to remind you that there's still this main function or main thing that is going on. And that's... All the words, everything that's unfolding in this passage is revealing and proving his love for them. So we've not changed that scenario. We're still dealing with that. And we're going to see this in verse 12 in just a moment, how much love is embedded in what he says in verse 12. And we'll get there in just a moment. But in the foot washing itself, in verses 1 through 11 that we've already looked at, these disciples are so impacted by Christ's act of humility in serving them, basically they're in utter shock. The king of the universe has bowed down and washed their feet. 
Their minds are overwhelmed. Their hearts are laid low. They're trying to take in what Christ just did. Conviction in their hearts because they were just previously discussing which one of them was the greatest. Am I great or are you great? Which one of us is the greatest? Who's going to sit at the right? Who's going to sit at the left? And in the midst of that discussion, the one who is the greatest takes the towel. Feet. So there's shock, there's mental confusion, and there's conviction going on in the room. And while they're trying to figure this all out, this image is stuck in their mind. And I'm repeating myself because I'd like for it to be stuck in your mind and stuck in your heart. This really happened. So this is not a fairy tale. The king of glory washed Judas's. He washed the other 11 as well. That he washed anybody's feet. If you could somehow put yourself in that room and think of the sinless one taking your shoe off and washing your feet when you know what type of person you are. And that you don't deserve for such an action to be done, that that would weigh on you, that it might rob you of some of your pride, some of your selfishness, some of your self-centeredness, and instead of always thinking, why don't people think about me? Why don't people pat me? love by dealing with this example that he has given them what I find interesting in verse 12 is because I'm not like Christ in so many ways but Christ has the right to rebuke them for the way they've responded they didn't take the towel they didn't take the water they're discussing who's the greatest this is a prime time right here to look them in the eye and say you're wrong repent you think you're somebody when you're not he, he could have taken that position like a lot of us would we're always very eager to give out a rebuke to give out a correction in order to show somebody else their sin you repent you change you turn we're eager to do that here in revealing his love doesn't do that how patiently he shows them the foundation of how they're to live the Christian life effectively Christ takes away all excuses he destroys all pride by personal example he shows them how to live oh there's a rebuke embedded here but it's done in such a loving way Christ is not, by the way, Christ is not establishing as some churches, I, I suppose there's some people out there that hold to the ordinance of foot washing. That's not what is going on here. He's pointing to the cross and he's teaching us that Christianity is self-denying, sacrificially serving, and it is for 
the glory of God. That's what we do, right? Those who understand the truth of this passage, or the truths in general, to the Word of God, those who understand those, put those, We keep throwing this phrase around the house. Well, I guess we need to wash somebody's feet. Well, I guess we need to wash somebody's feet. You see, we understand the truth. Now, how can we do it? How can we model it? If you miss that connection, it's like reading your Bible and never knowing what you read. You don't profit. But when you understand the truth and apply the truth, then there's profit. That's why back in the Puritan days, when they'd preach a sermon, the guys would say, that was profitable. So they took the truth and applied it, and it bore fruit. All right, so examine, point number one, examine, verses 12 and 13. The question that Jesus is asking here in verse 12, with this scenario, what all has just been done, he asks them a question. He finishes the foot washing, puts on his outer garments, done, then you can't profit. If you don't understand the lesson, then you leave unchanged. This is a shepherd who cares. Jesus undoubtedly has done right. He's undoubtedly done something that is loving. He's obviously shown, shown humility. There's nothing improper or wrong in anything Jesus has done, and he could claim that, but his greater concern is, is do you don't, we'll back up and I'll explain it again. I guess I want you to get it because it is foundational for the Christian life. If you don't get humility, if you don't get service, if you don't get this idea of laying yourself low, you can't live the Christian life. Do you understand what I've done to you? It's important to walk through this. Here's the great There's nothing sinful about talking about the weather, but there's no profit if we don't take the truths, talk about them, and then apply them to daily life. If you don't, all I am is an entertainer. That's all I become. I just, I'm just a dispenser of biblical knowledge for you to discard. But if you take it and apply it because you understand it, it will change your life. If you don't, you lose it. Never becomes applied. Now, in verse 13, they certainly address him correctly. They got that right, and he acknowledges that. So again, very loving, but he says they, they addressed him as teacher. Well, undoubtedly, he is the teacher. There is no teacher like unto Christ. He is the Lord. He is all authority is in his hands. The Father's putting all authority in his hands. They have this 
Apollos means pertaining to be in accord with a standard, right, correctly. You have got this right. I am the teacher and I am the Lord. By the way, I'm not going to pursue this long because it would be a whole sermon in of itself. There's something I didn't know. The disciples in all of the New Testament never addressed Jesus as Jesus. Now you read through, Jesus said, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit will lead them to write down that Jesus said this, Jesus said that. But anytime in quotes the disciples speak, they always give him reverence. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, command me to come out on the water. Lord, all through the New Testament, it's like in our culture, sometimes some you call me pastor. It's a term of respect or something like that. You would use that. his authority, his position, and it is a sign of deep reverence and respect. It's not your buddy or your pal. He's not your tag-along dog that you just take to the show with you. He is the Lord of the universe. Their address is right, Jesus says, because he is. Now, the example. Verses 14 and 15. If then, your Lord and teacher... Did you catch that in the first reading, Jesus flipped the order? You see, in the first time, they said teacher and Lord. When he responds, he flips it and he puts Lord before teacher. He does this on purpose. It is significant. It's, they put him, put, he puts Lord first because he is the Lord, the student must submit. If he's simply teacher, maybe we can ne negotiate about submission. But he is Lord primarily, teacher secondarily, if you will. We submit to his teaching because he is Lord. Now, I know we get caught up in verbiage and phrases, and people don't necessarily mean what they say, and they don't necessarily say what they mean. But let's at least establish it from the pulpit this morning. People say stuff like this. Well, you just need to make Jesus Lord. You cannot make Jesus Lord. Just do be reminded of that. He is Lord regardless of what you do. Regardless you make this decision or that decision, or whether you go here or there, you can't make Him what He already is. There's never a time that He's not Lord. So when we preach a Lordship salvation. He's the sovereign one. We are the subjects under Him. He is always the eternal Lord. Now, in verse 15, look at it specifically. For I have given you an example. Note the word example. Physical, real example. The washing of their feet. And then the application of the example. That you also ought, should do, just as I have done to you. Now, this word for example needs to be understood because there's one little flavor of it that you may not catch. And that is this. This example is an example of behavior used for the purpose of moral instruction. This example that Jesus sets by washing their feet has moral implications 
for you. If we don't repeat, if we don't model the example given, it has moral implications on our life. So the question we begin to ask here, in a very real sense, is am I being immoral by being self-serving rather than serving the brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I out of line and in sin because I don't ever think about anyone else but me? What is our thinking going on here? If there's a moral implication, I want to know if I'm being obedient in order that my moral life would add up to what Christ would have it be. So the question in the room is, you analyze your own individual life. How am I duplicating, replicating the example that Jesus has laid before my eyes? This very week, exactly how did you wash somebody's feet? Now, you, you have enough sense to know that we don't do foot washing in our culture. And I'm not saying bring foot washing back. I'm just bringing out the truth of the implication of the foot washing, which is humble service for another, even another. Example to be copied, to be modeled. If that doesn't click, maybe this does. I know I live in a computer world. Here's what you do. Most of you do this. Okay, you got to fix your washing machine. You got to fix your dishwasher. You're going to build something. You know what you do. You look it up on YouTube. And you look it up on YouTube and you watch it and they show you how. And you watch the thing. You go, oh, this goes here and this goes here. And you take the video and you go, oh, I get it. And then you fix it. Right? Anybody ever done this? This is what's going on here. Here's the example. Jesus just played a YouTube video. You just watched it in verses 1 through 11. Oh, I see now. I'm supposed to humble myself and wash the feet of people that I don't think deserve it. You got it. Now put it into practice. And he says in this verse, verse Listen to the word of God. Jesus says, I gave you an example. You ought. It's an obligation upon you. These times people in church say, well, I don't want to just be a pew warm. I don't just want to sit around and warm a pew. Great. This is what you ought to do. You ought to serve other people for the glory of God. You ought to look into someone else's life and see how you can be a blessing to them. There is no end to the ministry that you can do until Jesus comes back. You can just keep serving and serving and serving and serving and serving and there is no end to people in the church and out of the church that need someone to love them. Who would you love? Who would you serve? Yes, there's blessings that come. Be creative. I'm driving down the road. My truck has an air conditioner. There's a guy with a gas can. I assume it's empty. Just wash his feet. Pick him up. We get to spend an hour and a half talking about the gospel. I don't know if he was interested or not, but he sure wasn't getting out of the air conditioner to walk to the gas station. Just go ahead and wash his feet. I mean, he lied to me the whole time. He said he'd be here this morning. He's not here. I knew he wasn't coming. It's like, you know what? He should probably walk because he's probably dealing drugs. No, 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 no. That's not what I learned. 
I learned that the guy who would stab Jesus in the back with a knife and then sell him for 30 pieces of silver, that Jesus washed his feet anyways. Go and do likewise. There's all types. Do the ought. And you'll notice in verse 15, Oh, well, I only serve Christians. I only serve people that believe like me. That's not the context of this passage. This example, you see Christ, envision him there, bowed down on his knees, washing Judas's feet. He, there's, look, Jesus is not in the dark. He knew in John 6 he was going to sell him out. He knew before the foundations of the world he was going to sell him out. He knew in Psalm 41, 9 he was going to sell him out. He knows what's in Judas's heart, and the devil and Judas are in agreement, and he's still washing his feet. How can you use an excuse that you don't have to serve or love another? Well, I don't have to do that. If the king of glory would wash Judas, how can you use an excuse that you're too good to lay yourself that low? Because when we wash one another, we're washing people like us. When Jesus washes, he has to come down. Obedience. Let's just say it straight like James says it. So just listen. I won't add a word. James says it this way. What good is it, brothers? It's the question. What good is it, brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you, one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is faith by doing this. Judas will prove his lack of faith by not doing it. You should do just as I have done. Humble service, sacrificial service, displaying love by esteeming others more highly than yourself. After what Jesus has done, there is no valid excuses for us to adopt. We're, we, we love a world of excuses. We come up with excuses all day long for why we're late, why we don't do this, why we don't do that. We've got excuses for everything. But here, Jesus negates all excuses. You're going to have a hard time arguing with Jesus about how you're too good or too holy to be able to do this service for someone else. How are you going to say that to the one who has no sin? Well,
exposition. We say we like expositional preaching. I'm trying to do that. Verses 16 and 17. This is Jesus' exposition now of the sermon he has preached with his life. I like the words amen, amen, because that's what the Greek says. But truly, truly is for the ESV. This is what he says in his exposition. It's very clear, very pointed. A slave. And translators have a hard time with the word doulos. It sounds nicer if we say servant, but it's still a slave. A slave is not greater than his master. That's the exposition. No matter what type of slave you are, if you like the word servant, no matter what type of servant you are, know this, you're not greater than Jesus. Remember the discussion they were having? Who's greatest? Who's greatest? I sit at the right, you sit at the left. Well, know this. There's no servant on the face of this earth that is greater than his master. Nor is there one who is sent, a messenger. Postelos is the Greek word. One who is sent out that is greater than the one who sent him. A king sends you out as an ambassador. You're an ambassador, but you're not greater than the king. All you are is the sent one of the one who is greater than you. Now, here's good application of this truth that Jesus exposits. It's necessary for those who follow Jesus to do what he says. Think about it. The Bible says this, John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's the implication of that verse. We're not friends if I constantly rebel. What about Matthew seven twenty four? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, he'll be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. It's a fool who will throw these words away and sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. But a wise man will take these words, apply these words, and build his house, build his life on them. What about Matthew 12, 50? For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister. Whoever does, whoever obeys these things. How about Galatians 5, 6? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. You know what counts? Finish the verse. This, this is true faith here. It works itself out in daily application by loving the way Christ loved. Do just as I have done to you. Or you could go to James 1.25. But the one who looks into this perfect law, the law of freedom, liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. What? What happens to him? There's a promise in that verse. He will be blessed. Implication, those who do not will not be blessed. 
What about James 4, 17? <laughs> this is a bad setup. I didn't do it intentionally. It's just the way that it works out. But it is, it is here before us now. So we're hearing these things. We're trying to apply these to our hearts. Now, James says this. Whoever knows... In love, those who need to be served. Those who are brothers and sisters and those who are in the outside world. We are to lay our lives down in service to them. We know the right thing to do. James says, well, if you don't do it, it is sin. So here we are. We have this bound upon us. God knows every one of us and what we're going to do in response to this message. We're going to take this message and keep living for a number one like we're Mr. and Miss U-verse and the world revolves around us? Or are we going to lay ourselves low and say, this is the way our Savior walks. How can I walk this same way and serve someone else? That's what he's telling them. And I would note again, the only person in this group who doesn't apply what is taught is Judas. Later, you will see evidence of all 11 doing these very things, even at the cost of their own lives. Now we come to verse 17. We have this conditional statement made. It's worth our pondering or looking at. If you know these things, if you know that he's Lord, if you know he's the teacher, if you know these things that he has taught based on the example that he has given. If you know these things, there's a promised thing for you. But it is only by application. Blessed are you if you hear this and forget. No, it's not here. The only one who gets the blessing is the one who takes the truth in and then applies the truth in daily life. He's saying right here, the God of heaven is going to bless you if you do this. If you will deny yourself, take up your cross, die daily. Look, this has application. being asked. That's what ought to be going on in the reality of Christendom. In our world, the only thing they can talk about is COVID or what's going on in the White House. That's all they can talk about. But nobody's talking about how to die to self, how to love like Christ's love, and how to be a blessing to others for their good. People don't talk like that. We learn this stuff from Jesus because he did it. We just talk about it. He actually did it. And this truth is maximized later because this is the type and the anti-type is just a little bit short time down the road and it will be found when you have the infinite perfect son, son of God laying himself down on a cross and saying put the nail right here and right here and right here. Take those thorns and cram them up on my head. I'm a substitute for sinners. And he'll lay it all down for your good. 
Blessed are those who are willing to do them. I want to say word blessed in this verse means quite clearly the recipient of God's favor now I understand the Beatitudes and that it's another discussion but this word here for sure is not talking about your personal happiness in the way the world defines happiness and know that to be true but he is certainly saying this and this far supersedes your personal happiness and the greatest things that you could ever have is the favor of God on you. That God approves of you. God approves of what you do. So His favor is on you. But it's complicated, this favor. Because we so have been conditioned to think that favor means that my flesh gets gratified. That's not what it means. Oh, blessing because I got this inheritance. Blessing because this worked out. Blessing because my church grew to be a million people and I got all this money. No, 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 it's not what he's saying. I tell you who's blessed. Here's a blessed man. A blessed man is by the name of Stephen. Do you see the blessing on him as he's being stoned to death while the apostle Saul, or Saul is holding his clothes and he's approving of his death? Stephen was a blessed man. You see, how can he be blessed he's being stoned to death? I don't know. Lift up your head and look to heaven and see if someone is standing at the right hand of the throne in honor of his life where he laid it down for the gospel. You look at that and you're, God's favor is on him. Do you think somehow after being stoned to death and waking up in glory, Stephen's like, boy, I got a bum rap. Or is he in heaven? in the realization for all of eternity. Look, I mean, this is pale in comparison. We're going to wait 48 hours for our plane in Honduras. You know, we, we missed their plane. We've got to wait 48 hours. I didn't want to stay in this motel. I didn't want to stay in this community. It was terrible, blah, blah, blah. I was blessed the whole time. Because God's favor is upon those who are obedient to what He teaches. Whether rich or poor, whether hungry or not hungry, whatever the case may be, those who would be obedient to the Lord have God's favor upon them. William Hendrickson the blessedness here spoken of is, is the blessedness here spoken of is a matter not of feeling, but of inner spiritual condition or state. Because I'm in Christ, because I'm his child, you could say. I have God's favor on me. No matter what this world does, no matter what comes upon me, if I die of COVID, there's another word we forgot somewhere. I don't know where it got forgotten. But you know, people still die of cancer. People still die of heart attacks. People still die, Joel is close to knowing about this, about car wrecks. People die all of the time. All of these things happen, but it does not change the reality of being in the favor of God. Maybe your week unravels this week. 
Maybe everything goes contrary to the way your flesh, you want it to go. You say, well, what, what do I do? Wash somebody's feet. My car won't start. Okay, cry me a river. Suck it up, buttercup. I'm sorry you bought a Chevy. Your car won't start. You got a flat tire. My air conditioner went out this week. It was hot on my bottom floor. Oh, the sweat. We, we just think the whole world ought to stop and cry us a river because our air conditioner didn't work one morning. Maybe in the midst of things happening in a fallen world, maybe we should say something like this. Wonder how today I could take this situation and wash somebody else's feet because I'm pretty sure that somebody has it worse than me. And if you don't think so, you come with me this week and I'll take you to a couple of houses where they have it far worse than you have right here in this community to a degree that you can't even possibly comprehend how bad it is. We are self-conscious, we are prideful, we are self-absorbed Americans, and we think the world revolves around us, and this passage is an indictment on Christianity. Why? Because many of us, even in this room, are too good to serve someone else, including me. And this passage, in all the love that comes through Christ, is underneath a rebuke that challenges me, and I hope it challenges you. Now, as I think about all of that, just to wrap the sermon up since I'm cutting it short, as I think about all of that, if you don't know Christ, you've never repented, you've never believed, and you've better Savior? Is there one that you would like more than this? One that would stoop down and wash you and make you clean? One that would lay his life down and pour out his blood that you could be atoned and forgiven and not have your sins counted against you? This is the Savior. Look, when it comes to the gospel and salvation, I'm not trying to get you to do ABCs or jump through some hoops. What we're trying to do with the gospel is to get you to fall in love with Jesus who is a shepherd and will tenderly care for your soul that you would lose sight of yourself and you'd be caught in a person who you would truly love because he first loved you. And I would pray that you wouldn't come in this church week after week and just have your feet washed without being washed with the blood of Christ in a bath that would cleanse you and make you whole. And oh, that you would come and believe upon him because when you do he'll be washing your feet for the rest of your life sanctifying you purging you and cleansing you and forming you into his own image for his glory and for your good father in heaven thank you for this message thank you for the challenge